0: Hello, it's Nick Brown, editor of ADC. Welcome to June Atoms. We'll start with two global health papers. The first of these looks at antibiotics in non-bloody diarrhoea. Managing infectious diarrhoea is essentially uncomplicated. Adequate hydration, either oral, nasogastric or intravenous, electrolyte replacement, zinc and time, tenets on which WHO guidance are based. In only a small proportion of children, these are those with bloody diarrhoea from Shigella, cholera or immunobiasis or associated toxicity or sepsis Are antibiotics indicated. In other situations, they can make things worse. They can prolong the illness and complicate recovery as a result of a change in the microbiome and the development of bacterial resistance. We know, however, that the practice continues. But to date, there's been little data on its extent, which is why Outer's meta-analysis Of routinely available demographic health survey data from a number of sub Saharan African countries is so welcome. Using a random effects model to allow for inter country heterogeneity, they estimated that 23.1% of children under 5 with non bloody diarrhea were prescribed antibiotics. Family wealth and higher maternal education were associated with higher rates of treatment, and in broad terms, children in Western Africa were more likely to be treated than those in the East. Differences that probably reflect long standing parental expectation and medical practices. Acute lymphoblastic leukemia. Treatment completion in China. Until 2003, most children with ALL in China either failed to start or abandoned treatment, financial restrictions being the commonest reason. That year marked the start of a major demographic and economic transition in the aftermath of the Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome, SARS, with an escalation in government funding of health. Since 2010, the new Rural Cooperative Medical Scheme has covered the majority of the treatment costs of ALL, a change that has coincided with the inception of paediatric oncology units and standardisation of guidance. Tang and colleagues assessed rates of treatment completion between 2015 and 2016, and quantitative and qualitative predictors of abandonment in children treated in a number of major hospitals across 10 provinces. The findings were hugely impressive, with a three-year survival of 93% and cumulative abandonment rate of just 2.8% at 50 weeks. Abandonment occurred predominantly during induction and was associated with low-income regional descent, high-risk disease and, in the interviews, a perception by some parents of incurability. These now are only a small minority. Out-of-hospital cardiopulmonary resuscitation Improved skill in CPR for lone lay providers unequivocally enhances chances of survival from out-of-hospital cardiac arrest. This is one of the catalysts for the Kids Save Lives and Restart to Heart initiatives. What's less clear is whether a two-finger or two-thumb chest-encircling approach is more effective in infant resuscitation in terms of provision of the prerequisite rate and depth, allowance of recoil and avoidance of overventilation. Pellegrino and colleagues tested the methods directly against each other in a group of young adults recruited from US schools and community services using a mannequin-based, randomised post-training crossover trial. The overall differences were small, but the two-thumb method resulted in a better mean chest compression depth and, perhaps more importantly, was more popular. The paper is my editor's choice of the month, and the implications in terms of training are contextualised in an editorial by Gregson. Despite the evolution of discriminators from absolute neutrophil counts to acute phase markers, CRP and procalcitonin, particularly, Differentiating viral from bacterial fever in infants is still difficult. Gomez measured the performance of a combination of predictors in 196 infants between three weeks and three months of age, presented to tertiary paediatric emergency departments in Spain. They found disappointingly low predictive values with a sensitivity and negative likelihood ratio for ruling out IBI, invasive bacterial infection, in the younger group of 44% and 0.79 respectively. The test performed much better in the older children with a sensitivity of approaching 85% and NPV of 0.19%. Where does this leave us? The advent of blood and CSF viral PCR testing should mean shorter antibiotic courses with all the benefits that brings, but in other respects, we're much as we were in terms of immediate decision-making in very young infants. We can't really rule out bacterial sepsis in the acute situation, nor rule it in. The limitations of standard BMI as a measure of body fat are well known. It is unable to distinguish between fat and fat-free mass, an important problem when used as a marker at both an individual and population level as a predictor of cardiovascular risk. The triponderal index calculated by mass over height cubed has, in various euphemistic incarnations, been with us for a number of years. Proponents cite its greater statistical stability as a reason for which to moot it as a replacement, even though there is little hard evidence on which to corroborate this assumption. To test this hypothesis, Kuhl and colleagues analysed data from the Canadian Health Measures Survey and modelled the predictive value of tripondral index in children aged six to 19 years of age. They derived centiles for TMI and ROC curves, testing these against BMI, but found no notable difference in AUC values. Those the two models in terms of standard cardiovascular risk markers. This surprising negative result marks another chapter in the checkered career of anthropometric measurement and perhaps reopens the door to other candidates like bioimpedance, which have been patiently waiting at the door for some time. Medication safety. Medication errors are common in children, can cause harm and their prevention a cornerstone of paediatric quality improvement. None of us are immune, so any development should be of wide interest. The paper by Kahn and Abramson in the quality improvement section gives us an update of recent innovations. Improved, in other words, safer prescribing is possible through electronic systems, decision support systems, unit-based pharmacists, apps and workflow management. Systems to improve administration include prescriptions matched by barcodes to patients and smart pumps. The paper was put into perspective in a recent podcast by Claire Lima and Dan Hawcutt. Hope you read this, listen to the podcast, and look at the rest of this month's issue. Be sure to check out the website on adc.bmj.com. Thanks so much for listening. As always.